Chapter 40 of The Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. The Headless Horseman A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter 40 The Marked bullet before coming up with the scout an incident occurred to vary the monotony of the march instead of keeping along the avenue the major had conducted his command in a diagonal direction through the chaparral he had done this to avoid giving unnecessary pain to the afflicted father who would otherwise have looked upon the life-blood of his son or at least what the major believed to be so the gory spot was shunned and as the discovery was not yet known to any other save the major himself and the tracker who had made it the party moved on in ignorance of the existence of such a dread sign the path they were now pursuing was a mere cattle track scarce broad enough for two to ride abreast here and there were glades where it widened out for a few yards again running into the thorny chaparral on entering one of these glades an animal sprang out of the bushes and bounded off over the sward a beautiful creature it was with its fulvous coat oscillated with rows of shining rosettes its strong lithe limbs supporting a smooth cylindrical body continued into a long tapering tail the very type of agility a creature rare even in these remote solitudes the jaguar its very rarity rendered it the more desirable as an object to test the skill of the marksman and notwithstanding the serious nature of the expedition two of the party were tempted to discharge their rifles at the retreating animal they were Cassius Calhoun, and a young planter who was riding by his side. The jaguar dropped dead in its tracks, a bullet having entered its body, and traversed the spine in a longitudinal direction. Which of the two was entitled to the credit of the successful shot? Calhoun claimed it, and so did the young planter. The shots had been fired simultaneously, and only one of them had hit. "'I shall show you,' confidently asserted the ex-officer, dismounting beside the dead jaguar and unsheathing his knife. "'You see, gentlemen, the ball is still in the animal's body. If it's mine, you'll find my initials on it. C.C. with a crescent. I mold my bullets so that I can always tell when I've killed my game. The swaggering air with which he held up the leaden missile after extracting it told that he had spoken the truth. A few of the more curious drew near and examined the bullet. Sure enough, it was molded as Calhoun had declared, and the dispute ended in the discomfiture of the young planter. The party soon after came up with the young tracker, waiting to conduct them along a fresh trail. It was no longer a track made by two horses with shod hoofs. 
the turf showed only the hoof-marks of one, and so indistinctly, that at times they were undiscernible to all eyes save those of the tracker himself. The trace carried them through the thicket from glade to glade, after a circuitous march, bringing them back into the lane-like opening at a point still further to the west. Spangler, though far from being the most accomplished of his calling, took it up as fast as the people could ride after him. In his own mind he had determined the character of the animal whose footmarks he was following. He knew it to be a mustang, the same that had stood under the cottonwood whilst his rider was smoking a cigar, the same whose hoofmark he had seen deeply indented in a sod saturated with human blood. The track of the state's horse he had also followed for a short distance, in the interval when he was left alone. He saw that it would conduct him back to the prairie through which they had passed, and thence, in all likelihood, to the settlements on the Leona. He had forsaken it to trace the footsteps of the shod mustang, more likely to lead him to an explanation of that red mystery of murder, perhaps to the den of the assassin. Hitherto perplexed by the hoofprints of two horses alternately overlapping each other, he was not less puzzled now while scrutinizing the track of but one. They went not direct, as those of an animal urged onwards upon a journey, but here and there zigzagging, occasionally turning upon themselves in short curves, then forward for a stretch, then circling again, as if the mustang was either not mounted or its rider was asleep in the saddle. Could these be the hoof-prints of a horse with a man upon his back, an assassin skulking away from the scene of assassination, his conscience freshly excited by the crime? Spangler did not think so. He knew not what to think. He was mystified more than ever. So confessed he to the major, when being questioned as to the character of the trail. A spectacle that soon afterwards came under his eyes, simultaneously seen by every individual of the party, so far from solving the mystery, had the effect of rendering it yet more inexplicable. More than this, what had hitherto been but an ambiguous affair, a subject for guess and speculation, was suddenly transformed into a horror of that intense kind that can only spring from thoughts of the supernatural. No one could say that this feeling of horror had arisen without reason. When a man is seen mounted on a horse's back, seated firmly in the saddle, with limbs astride in the stirrups, body erect, and hand holding the rein, in short, everything in air and attitude required of a rider. When, on closer scrutiny, it is observed that there is something wanting to complete the idea of a perfect equestrian, and on still closer scrutiny that this something is the head, it would be strange if the spectacle did not startle the beholder, 
terrifying him to the very core of his heart. And this very sight came before their eyes, causing them simultaneously to rein up, and with as much suddenness as if each had rashly ridden within less than his horse's length of the brink of an abyss. The sun was low down, almost on a level with the sward. Facing westward, his disk was directly before them. His rays, glaring redly in their eyes, hindered them from having a very accurate view towards the quarter of the west. Still could they see that strange shape above described, a horseman without a head. Had only one of the party declared himself to have seen it, he would have been laughed at by his companions as a lunatic. Even two might have been stigmatized in a similar manner. But what everybody saw at the same time could not be questioned, and only he would have been thought crazed who would have expressed incredulity about the absence of the abnormal phenomenon. No one did. The eyes of all were turned in the same direction, their gaze intently fixed on what was either a horseman without the head or the best counterfeit that could have been contrived. Was it this? If not, what? was it these interrogatories passed simultaneously through the minds of all as no one could answer them even to himself no answer was vouchsafed soldiers and civilians sat silent in their saddles each expecting an explanation which the other was unable to supply there could be heard only mutterings expressive of surprise and terror. No one even offered a conjecture. The headless horseman, whether phantom or real, when first seen was about entering the avenue, near the debouchure of which the searchers had arrived. Had he continued his course, he must have met them in the teeth, supposing their courage to have been equal to the encounter. As it was, he had halted at the same instant as themselves and stood regarding them with a mistrust that may have been mutual. There was an interval of silence on both sides, during which a cigar stump might have been heard falling upon the sward. It was then the strange apparition was most closely scrutinized by those who had the courage for the majority of the men sat shivering in their stirrups through sheer terror incapable even of thought the few who dared face the mystery with any thought of accounting for it were baffled in their investigation by the glare of the setting sun they could only see that there was a horse of large size and noble shape with a man upon his back the figure of the man was less easily determined on account of the limbs being inserted into overalls, while his shoulders were enveloped in an ample cloak-like covering. What signified his shape, so long as it wanted that portion most essential to existence? A man without a head, on horseback, sitting erect in the saddle, 
in an attitude of ease and grace, with spurs sparkling upon his heels, the bridle-rein held in one hand, the other where it should be, resting lightly upon his thigh. Great God, what could it mean? Was it a phantom? Surely it could not be human. They who viewed it were not the men to have faith either in phantoms or phantasmagoria. Many of them had met nature in her remotest solitudes and wrestled with her in her roughest moods. They were not given to a belief in ghosts. But the confidence of the most incredulous was shaken by a sight so strange, so absolutely unnatural and to such an extent that the stoutest hearted of the party was forced mentally to repeat the words is it a phantom surely it cannot be human its size favored the idea of the supernatural it appeared double that of an ordinary man upon an ordinary horse it was more like a giant on a gigantic steed, though this might have been owing to the illusory light under which it was seen, the refraction of the sun's rays passing horizontally through the tremulous atmosphere of the parched plain. There was but little time to philosophize, not enough to complete a careful scrutiny of the unearthly apparition, which every one present with hands spread over his eyes to shade them from the dazzling glare, was endeavoring to make. Nothing of color could be noted, neither the garments of the man nor the hairy coat of the horse. Only the shape could be traced, outlined in sable silhouette against the golden background of the sky. And this, in every change of attitude, whether fronting the spectators or turning stern towards them, was still the same, still that inexplicable phenomenon, a horseman without a head. Was it a phantom? Surely it could not be human. "'Tis old Nick upon horseback,' cried a fearless frontiersman, who would scarce have quailed to encounter his satanic majesty even in that guise. By the tarnal almighty, it's the devil himself. The boisterous laugh which succeeded the profane utterance of the reckless speaker, while it only added to the awe of his less courageous comrades, appeared to produce an effect on the headless horseman. Wheeling suddenly round, his horse at the same time sending forth a scream that caused either the earth or the atmosphere to tremble, he commenced galloping away. He went direct towards the sun, and continued his course until only by his motion could he be distinguished from one of those spots that have puzzled the philosopher. At length, altogether disappearing, as though... He had ridden into the dazzling disk. End of chapter 40 Recording by Bill Mosley, Bernardo, Texas, USA